Hello and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. It is Thursday, April the 16th, 2020, still in the midst of the coronavirus lockdown in the UK. No sign of that abating, although thankfully um, some of the numbers of deaths have decreased slightly in recent days, but still uh, well in uh, past 10,000 in terms of uh, fatalities in the UK associated with the pandemic now across the world. I come to you in association with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Uh, shout out to Jason Briggs and his team at Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, obviously working from home at the moment, still manning their website in terms of uh, new equipment, but also trying to detail and consult with uh, existing customers about any problems they might have in their entertainment systems, which we're all drawing heavily on at the moment, aren't we? Spending a lot more time at home, a lot more time consuming uh, media and so on and so forth. And in terms of dealing with that, very pleased to say we're going to have John Hudson on, who is the Chief Survival Instructor for the UK military, based down in Cornwall, but flies all around the world, uh, teaching people how to survive in extreme conditions. People in the armed forces, predominantly, who may be stranded somewhere like jungles, uh, frozen tundras, mountains, wherever it might be. Um, and he actually wrote a book, How to Survive, last year, which extrapolated on the learnings he had in the wild, in the wilderness, in terms of survival and how to find water and how to plan, how to put effort in, how to create hope into structuring in a, a sort of regular office day life. And I think even more than a regular office day life, which was, I think for him, he found even more difficult than surviving in the wild in terms of focusing on being productive and how you organise your time and structure with the, the multiple the distractions we have, the multiple platforms of communication that perhaps at the moment when we're at home and, and going through the presence of fear and stimulation, adrenalised sort of reaction. Maybe that's wearing off a little bit in the UK several weeks into the lockdown, but certainly initially the pandemic is unprecedented for us that that kind of emotional reaction, how we cope with that, I think will be something that John will give an insight to because he's skilled and has coached people at being in situations where they might be being pursued by enemy uh, troops or just slightly in, in, or animals, wherever they might be in the, in the wilderness and wild. So I think shed an insight on how to cope with that how to structure and plan in that process maybe it's even more relevant to his training perhaps than than regular times regular jobs anyway i hope you enjoy the podcast do rate it on itunes if you do and uh, let's see if we can get hold of john hudson now he's based down down in yuki let's see if he's been doing some surfing at the moment okay guys hope you enjoy it hello ed hello john can you hear me yeah, nice one, mate. How am I this time? You're you're loud and clear, mate. You were loud and clear before, but um, you've navigated all the, the the wilds of the world, and now you've navigated making a podcast on the phone. You know, tech ad. I'm rubbish at tech. Me, well, me too. Me too. I think people assume because I work in the media, I'm better. But usually, I've got someone telling me what to do, so it's, uh, it's tricky <laughs> with my own at home. Yeah. Um, but how are you? How, how's life? Are you? I, I didn't know whether you were still going into the office with the REF or, or how it works. Are you, are you sort of. Um, yeah, I'm I'm well, but firstly, I'm well, but how are you? Are you all right as well? Yes, I am. Yeah, we're, um, bizarrely, which is probably a bit funny for, for someone who works in your profession, we've been listed even at Sky Sports News as a, as key workers, I think, to, to be a, count, a counterpoint to the hard news and, and keep people a little bit informed of the sports news, although that is quite bleak at the moment because obviously a lot of clubs are, are struggling with income and stuff like that. So it's um, It makes um, sense. You've been uh, kept doing that because everyone needs a counterpoint to all the, the kind of um, the tragic figures that are rolling across the screens every day. I, I think it's sensible to keep stuff like that going, definitely. Yeah, potentially. And also, I think the government was keen because we've obviously got, at the moment, a lesser audience than, than Sky News. But we're still kind of projecting those key messages about 
uh, social distancing and, and things like that. So I suppose there's a there's method to it. But yeah, it's been reduced on airshift, so it's sort of more to, more home, home time. I'm doing a bit of writing for the Sky Sports oh. website from home, which has been a nice pivot actually for for me yeah. to do something a little bit different. So and and, and doing doing little things like this for fun on the side, like the podcast, which is. Yeah. Uh, challenging me uh technically but how about you are you are you going into the the RAF offices how it's it similar. yeah it's similar mate there's a few um few sort of essential training tasks that have to be done and they're they're really limited yeah uh, all of that's mitigated with social distancing so I was doing a little bit of um really constrained survival training for some guys who who need to uh need to have it quickly last week um and it was, you know, an outdoor classroom. Everyone was two meters apart minimum. Mm. Uh, um, well ventilated, obviously, because all the water small roof and the, the breeze was blowing through. <laughs> Rattle through things quite quickly. So it, you never know. I mean, it's going to shake a lot of trees, this, I think. And it might make some of our stuff a little bit more uh, streamlined. I, d- I don't necessarily think it, it's improving every element of it. But what we managed to deliver was effective. Yeah. And the rest of it is similar to you, mate. I mean, we don't have a website um, at work for, for great, you know, wider consumption, but we do have a lot of online products for the wider survival instructor community within the military. Mm. So my small team and I have spent most of our working from home time doing a real stock check and check through and an update of all that kind of stuff. Because when, you, when you're about to teach a survival lesson out as a, a military instructor in the, the wider military, in the Air Force, Army or Navy, you've got to check your notes because most of the guys out there don't deliver it that often. So as you no. know, when you're doing a, an unusual sport, you have to do a quick read upon it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, and lasses. Yes, that's true. And, and so, the, but it's the military, uh, presumably, kind of has to continue at full pace to a certain extent. Yeah, it? Might, yeah, yeah. And, and what we've um, we've got this. So there's a little bit of essential training that we've been doing, um, but we're also all on the sort of on the list to to help out. So there's a, there's a couple of people like with any cross section of society who've got like vulnerable household members who are at the bottom of the list hmm. the rest of us have um we've volunteered and we've said you know whenever our turn comes around we'll go out and help out the the frontline um health or services which is which is what everyone should be supporting at the moment and your messaging on on the sports channels is doing just that but we're taking our turns to go out and do uh, those jobs so i'm just waiting for my turn to go and do that really so is that is that actually working in hospitals is it supporting the nhs or or, or helping people in the community well, I don't know about the rest of um, the the, uh, the military. Uh, I know that they've got a lot of people on readiness. I don't know precisely what jobs they're doing, but for our small cohort of survival instructors, we we have first aid training, but it's nothing like what's required by an NHS worker. Yeah. So we are doing sort of support functions in um, operations rooms, not operating theatres, you know, like <laughs> not sur- surgeries. <laughs> yeah, like in a command setup. Um, so we're helping out with some of that kind of things. And there's a, there's a few of our guys who've gone to different corners of the country already to do that. So the survival school's helping out in London, South Wales, uh, up in the northwest as well. People have gone from Cornwall to the to the four corners, really. That's great. I mean, there's, there's a concern as well with the coronavirus. I know that amongst medics, because I've got several GPs in the family that the yeah. sort of r- routine or other health issues are sort of are negated. So having sort of um, people around with with survival training and, and as you say with first aid is probably quite key at the moment because there are people who who have serious complaints that aren't coronavirus so it's, it's a tricky time yeah and i think it's just helping them out at any level i don't necessarily uh, think our guys will be doing any hands-on um, medical stuff but we're certainly able to sort of fill desks that could have otherwise taken a healthcare professional away from the, the, the cutting edge so yeah it's helping in depth i think is the main thing yeah good stuff and john i thought of you as well i mean i obviously get these uh 
jealousy inducing pictures of yours on, on the Cornish coast down there and stuff as well and the, <laughs> the wildlife shots which always uh, make me quite curious because I love it I love that part of the world we went on holiday to uh, Morgan Porth or Porth Morgan nice. last year very near you so I always think yeah. um, of that spot but what made me think about the book actually because on my bookshelf in the living room how to survive lessons from everyday life from the extreme world yeah and it was it was interesting that you, you know, you'd said to me that in a way to extrapolate from the lessons of the wilderness was, was trickier for you to, to manage in a, in a sort of office situation with the, the kind of multiple distractions that we have now in the communication side of it. But I thought this, this situation might be even more pertinent mind, in terms of, I suppose, dealing with stress and, and fear, which maybe is plateaued a bit now for people. But when it first happened, this whole lockdown, it, it kind of evoked that anxiety. It did, and and that's um, I think that cut across everyone because no one has experienced this. I mean, there was the pandemic a hundred years ago, but there's not really any kind of living survivors who can put hand on heart and remember exactly how they did it and text mm. well. So everything everything's different now. But um, off the back of the the uh, How to Survive book, I did get quite a few messages uh, from people who were asking kind of for specific pandemic uh, <laughs> COVID type applications. So oh, I see. I, I spoke to the uh, I spoke to the publishers and. I did a bit of writing that first weekend. We were uh, dispersed for home working back in March. And just because we had these essential tasks coming up and they needed to keep us kind of uh, almost like behind glass to break for when everything needs a backfill, you know, so we're away. Um, And because you're working from home, you've got a little bit of spare time because you're not having those conversational meetings. You're not having the face-to-face training that we normally deliver. That's kind of time that you've brought back. So that that first weekend... yeah. uh, I, I did do a little bit of thinking specifically about the, the pandemic stuff and uh, the publishers have been brilliant because normally with this sort of thing, you know, people's time is money, but they've been brilliant and they've, they've put this, all this information out as a free ebook. Um, so anyone can access it, but to sort of summarize the key points, I think that the way that, that um, you can apply the survival principles to this pandemic, there's certainly the isolation elements of it yeah. are, are pretty, pretty straightforward in a way, because when you look at, how um survival normally pans out for people in my world and then they are isolated you know they're not necessarily indoors Mm. i mean that can but they they tend to be just on their own with no definite connection with with family and friends that kind of thing they're just stuck in the back of beyond so i kind of the stuff in the book does apply but i added to it with looking at some um specific cohorts of people who are really expert in this like astronauts on the international space station and uh, lighthouse keepers because they used to spend wow, days yeah. an end in the mm. co- fine space in company with people they don't know that but very well um and, but for whom adapting and behaving as a small team in a new un- uh, unusual environment is absolutely essential so i've added some of those little um John, we just lost you there. I'm just going to reconnect and we'll, uh, we'll continue from that point. Hi, Ed. Hello, mate. Sorry, we lost you in full flow there in the middle um, of the, uh, the, yeah. the, e-book, the e-book presentation. But that was interesting because I was looking at your, um, your book about the, the planning, the effort and the hope sort of yeah. triangle. And what you said, you've added something different to that in terms of the specifics of, of this situation. Yeah, and I didn't see that we dropped out. So forgive me if I repeat some of the stuff we said a moment ago. But yeah, the, the bit about isolation um, and how to crack those sorts of things. And, and interestingly, from my point of view, at least, there are people who've been doing this for years and are all over it, like lighthouse keepers and astronauts on the ISS. Mm. I look to those examples. Um, 
And the, one of the key things, I think, for coping with isolation is making sure that you're getting the right information in because it's very easy to ruminate and to go down a negative rabbit hole and a, a downward spiral, much like we talked about on our last chat about normal uh, psychology and extremists. Yeah. And one of the best ways to, to avoid that, and it does fit into the survival plan when you look in the kind of the location element of it, is making sure you're getting the best sources of information. So what I've started doing is, and then don't tell this to your friends at Sky News, but what I've <laughs> is rationing the amount of news I watch down to a couple of times a day. Yeah. The kind of thing that people do when they're on um, kind of surviving in hostile territory stuff. You know, they don't leave their radio on all the time because it'll kill the batteries. Mm. They, at specific set windows. So that's what I've been doing. I've been listening later in the day when things are getting rounded up and then maybe a little bit in the morning. And then in between those two bookends, so I'm getting information, I just, I, I don't look at the news because it won't be something that's going to be earth shattering that's going to change what I'm doing at the moment. And if it is, then they'll find an alternative means to let me know. And what I don't want to do is distract myself and spend too much time with those kind of unavoidable negative thoughts. So mm. I've, I've done that, which has limited it. And then, Kind of thinking longer term as well, some of the stuff that applies um, in a kind of resilience way is making sure that you can access those feeds. And this is all, you know, in terms of communication wise, this is all fairly stable now. But in a, in a normal, um, rapidly evolving type event where you can't really predict things, I should probably normal is the wrong word, but in a, any mm. kind of scenario, you need to back up systems. So have a, a radio with a that's battery powered, for example, or make sure that you, you can watch the TV if the internet isn't working. Yeah. You, and you, you've grown food and stuff in the past, haven't you? Almost. Yeah. I, I know people start to sort of panic about that, but with the this sort of rush on the supermarkets, people maybe start to think, hang on, maybe I should grow some vegetables or maybe keep, keep chickens if you've got space or something if like that. Space, why not? And this is the time to do it. And you can grow a few things on a window ledge. And if nothing else, it gives you something to look after and it gives you something to monitor. So mm. that's going to be a good kind of little bit of, of psychology and the other one that's quite good that people are probably already tuning into is, is something that's not necessarily um, essential but something like a homebrew just getting something like <laughs> wine going you know there's loads of dandelions around at the moment you can turn their flowers into wine so sticking something like that upstairs is just another thing to to potter away at and fill those extra minutes that you've got rather than killing time because yeah first than looking back on this opportunity and saying that you know, you completed Netflix when you could have been doing something. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not drinking too much homebrews. Yeah. It's a distraction for some people, I think. Yeah, make uh, it. it you, can make, you can only make small amounts, can't you? So it's not going to be um, yeah. overkill. <laughs> That's true. And I suppose as well, you hear the phrase with, I heard podcasts with Navy SEALs about when they're in situations of mortal danger in combat, and it's about controlling the controllable. And I suppose yeah. that that is a part of the rationing your access to the constant streams of information, the 24 hour news cycle, but actually, like you say, you don't need to, you need key elements of information about what we can and can't do with social distancing and um, any other practical advice around symptoms and stuff like that. But I think fundamentally it is, it is sort of knowing what you can do, what's in your wheelhouse and not worrying about things that you can't control like a global spread of the, the virus. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely mate. And that's one of the, one of the best examples of someone who endured long-term isolation is an American called James, James Stockdale. Jim, Admiral Jim Stockdale. Mm. And what you say about that, knowing what you can control and what you can't control, that is the actual, as you know, but you, you, some of your listeners may not have, have heard, is the actual sort of fundamental root of Stoicism as a philosophy. And Jim Stockdale, when he ejected in, in Vietnam in, in the 60s, 
was already a practicing Stoic in the old philosophical sense. Mm. And he's at an American university and became a professor of it after the war. But he was in isolation for years and years and years in the Hanoi Hilton. And he spent two years in solitary, shackled with a, a light bulb on. You know, it's impossible <laughs> to imagine. So the depths of the isolation that he went through and what he says, which is a lesson we can all take away, which ties into the point you made there nicely, is knowing what you can control and what you can't control is key. And that includes your outlook on things. So we were talking earlier briefly about ruminative thoughts and you know negative uh, self-talk and all that kind of stuff. Well, you can avoid that because it's a choice of yours to make. So if, for example, you're the lighthouse guy who's trapped with through the people and you're not necessarily getting on it's not just about who you're with it's about being the right person yourself mm. so there are things that we can all do to make this a little bit easier and if everyone does it it becomes a lot more of a, a kind of a, um, a a happy ship and a satisfying experience so stoicism is at the root of a lot of this and it is literally about knowing what you can control and doing something about it and equally understanding what you can't control and not worrying about that stuff yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point, isn't it? I think it's interesting if you think of people in history that managed to do that, control their reactions to situations. I think mm. Viktor Frankl, wasn't he, in the Holocaust, man's yeah. search for meaning was the, the sort of archetypal figure that actually, despite the most horrific of environments, he was able to be civil and, and, and sort of jolly with, with yeah. na- Nazi prison, prison guards and stuff, which was yeah. incredible, really. But he was able to maintain for himself an internal positive environment yeah. and realising that you, you do have a co- control over that, which is... Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. I suppose, as you alluded to earlier, John, there's an opportunity here as well, isn't there, to, to step outside of some of the frenetic nature of, of everyday life. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think your Victor Frankl example is brilliant, mate, because what, what he found and what others have found in this, this you know, the, the worst case version of isolation you could imagine is something horrific like a concentration camp or what Jim Stockdale endured with daily torture in the Hanoi Hilton. Mm. And what, what they all found, the ones who came through it with that kind of positive outlook, is that it's about it's about structuring your thoughts as much as structuring your day. So the, the real um, vehicles for control that we've got about this is is not letting the easy things slide because we can't bothered. And what's been found by psychologists like Beach, which to do with studying people in extreme isolation, mm. is that um, if someone is, for example, um, on the downside and, and things are slipping a little bit, what their fellow inmates in, in the concentration camp notice is initially stopped looking after themselves in the sense of personal hygiene so obviously hand washing is an absolute critical get across and it's really important as a first line of defense against infecting yourself with the virus but equally looking after you know daily hygiene routines and making sure you've got good it's your day's good it's psychological yeah that's interesting i've heard some sort of debates about that as well about whether we should um, continue shaving and things like that or, or, or kind of let itself go but there is that sort of personal discipline element to it, i suppose which is important to yeah. keep up yeah, it's been proven, mate. So the, I'm not the, the tidiest person in the world, as all my teammates will attest, but I can <laughs> still find things somewhere on my desk. But when it comes to those sorts of critical self-help things, then I've, I, I know there are debates about, you know, whether or not to bother. But actually, if you want to uh, perform better and, and endure things with a more positive outlook, then you do need to take a little bit of self-pride in those sorts of uh, elements. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a good way of... Um looking at it as well and managing and managing sort of elements of it and also I suppose like you say adopting time and using that time to to maybe hone a new skill I think for me it's interesting my wife's sort of gone on a bit of a health kick and that's not been my biggest challenge my challenge is almost sort of switching off of smartphones and things like that I think the, the industry I work in I'm trying to kind of work on that and it sounds a silly thing to do but it's a sense of oh. being more productive going forward have you found that could be quite difficult to do then 
Yes, I have, because I got, I'm a sort of person who's got quite active brain, so I go down rabbit holes. So what yep. I'll do is I'll um, check a message in the morning, and you've got so many platforms now in terms of yeah. email, different emails, different social media, and you sort of, and then you sort of see a link to something, you end up reading it. Like I said about the consuming the information, like I, try, I tend to try and use my laptop now constructively to maybe look at a new scientist or someone, someone that's got a kind yeah. of more neutral sort of overview of COVID and, and stuff like that in terms of getting my information. And then, but yeah, you can, I can find myself, you know, in the screen time tracker can be quite scary because you realize that three or four hours over a day can quite easily be done without you consciously yeah. allotting that time. So for me, yeah. that, that's a big challenge. I don't know what it, and I've sort of slipped into, it, I think, because I've only had a smartphone for about 10 years, but you realize that in that time, there's been increasing amount of distractions in there, which some of it's good and it's good to share information. Like we can record the podcast now on a smart, yep. smartphone and things like that, but it's just, it's learning how to use it, isn't it? Controlling it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is part of that structure thing because you're almost like rationing your time. Because it, and I know exactly what you mean. I, I've been using the new scientists a lot for uh, information sources too because they tend to go straight to the article or the, the, the research document rather than an opinion about it. Yeah. And, um, it, it is difficult once you find something interesting because you, you start to unpick that issue and want to know more about it. So that's, a, I think, where I've tried to structure my day with that is just to do maybe an hour of um, kind of newsy stuff per day in two half-hour chunks. Mm. And that seems to be working at the moment. But like you, most of my connectivity with my work colleagues is via multiple different um, media platforms. Like, you know, WhatsApp's the favourite one, isn't it? But there's also... <laughs> Skype and Zoom and the, obviously the, the, the Ministry of Defence are emailed that not all the guys can access directly. So we have to sort of rebrief little elements of that within classifications. So it, you do spend a lot more time communicating than you would normally, I think. Although I, I, suppose, I suppose conversationally around the office, it, yeah, you don't really monitor when you do that because you just consider that to be normal social interaction. Maybe this is like the, the offset for it in time. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Because you, you're in the military, you're around people who are sort of focused on efficiency and stuff like that. I wonder what their reflections are on communication and whether we're in a situation where you almost over communicate now and that can distract yeah. pro productivity. I, I think initially, and I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but initially when we began working from home, there was an avalanche of emails. Yeah. And everyone tried to compensate for the lack of, uh, you know, inter, interpersonal time. Now the emails are a lot more um, simplified and direct and streamlined, which is an improvement, I think. And if we can capitalize on that in the future it'd be great because we'll have loads more time yeah. doing the, the real <laughs> and they're quite a strange phenomenon aren't they zoom and, and things like that. even whether it's family or, or business they're quite surreal sort of terms of communication sometimes i think a phone call on, the, on an audio line could be more productive yeah. and feel, feel more engaged because you get you got a multitude of distractions when you've got many people up on a screen and and, and watching what's in their background and stuff like that yeah. so it's an yeah. in, it's interesting development but you, yeah but like you say and i think for me as well, I, you use social media obviously to promote the messages you're spreading in the, in the book and, and also some of the principles that, that you've discovered through being a survival instructor. I think that's really good. But I think it's, it's also it's editing your social media in terms of who you consume. And, and, because a lot of, particularly on Twitter, a lot of, of sort of vehement judgment of people who go out, a lot of anger, a lot of, um, oh, yeah. a lot of yeah. debate and a lot of kind of blaming and, you know, a lot of celebration in the NHS, which is great, but then a lot of demonization yeah. of other people. And it's, it can be quite a negative environment if you don't edit what you consume on there. I 100% agree, Ed. And I think this is bringing out the best in people, but it's also for some, it's bringing out the worst in them. And, and social media is that, it's that platform where you can type away, send, and then not think about it, which you could not get away with in a normal conversation because you would get micro or, or macro gestures back. Yeah. And I think the, 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 I, I'm old school, so I'll, I'll do a normal phone chat, but 
one of the things from the lighthouse keepers that they used to do was they do these watch systems that were several hours long and at the end of a watch at night keeping the light burning which was in the back in those days a paraffin lamp and <laughs> massive one um they just wanted to get their heads down and go to sleep but what they would do is they they talk to the, to the guy coming on shift to make sure he was awake and alert by the time they finished and that was normally a 30 minute conversation massive cup of tea and one of the things that we can do i think that's it's it's been mentioned a lot but by doing a, a face type communication be it facetime or skype or whatever with somebody who's distant and maybe completely isolated that's great because you can see those gestures and you can really mm. get how they're coping and that that thing that we've spoken about in the past where you're the first sense you lose when you're struggling is your sense of humor you can really see yeah. that, can't you when you're chatting so and it's, it's important it's important to have a laugh because almost a guilt complex to that attached to it isn't it in a time of when we're getting daily documentation of deaths that you feel like you shouldn't be jovial but in a sense it's actually good for your immune system and just your your mind and your mentality yeah you've, you've got to find something that you can laugh about and i'm not for a moment suggesting we laugh mm. about any of the tragic cases but there's there are other things in the day-to-day that are hilarious or, or ridiculous in equal measure so yeah why not why not try and remain light-hearted about what you can control and maintain a kind of a positive opinion about things and one of the best bits of advice that i've been told for years is you've got nothing nice to say say nothing and i think that could be applied to a lot of the posts that i'm seeing on social by people who are obviously um you know struggling to find something good to say so insist on saying something negative yeah. anyway which is just yeah quite a lot of mudslinging about who's to blame for, for the current predicament and the lack of preparation and what, yeah. what taking pictures of other people out in the street and saying what, what they're doing without really knowing whether they're on an exercise program or, or whether they live in a, live in a flat yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So it's volunteering for the NHS, helping drop off shopping for vulnerable people. Who knows why they're out? It doesn't, you know, it's not yours to no, judge, is it? No, it's a negative. It evokes negative sort of stress emotions, I think, in, you, in yourself, apparently, so when, you, when you study that. And it's, one thing it struck me as well, because we talked, I think, loosely about circadian <laughs> rhythms when you're out in the wilderness and how you tune into to nature, go to bed early, wake up early. And I think maybe yeah. a lot of us are getting, and particularly with the weather in the UK being so nice in this spring, that we were outside more yeah. than we would normally be in our gardens and things like that. And actually... I don't know about you, but you, you start to tune into a, a more natural rhythm. For me, another one for working shift work has been because I'm going into office less and actually the shifts have changed. They're not as late, not as early that, that it's mm. I'm feeling a bit more in tune and a bit, bit more rested actually in some ways. Yeah, I'm the same, I think, actually, mate, because I get up early to, to drive to where I work and it's normally, well, slightly different where we are now, but when this all began, it's normally sort of go in the dark, come back in the dark yeah. almost. And now you get a, look, a much better sense of the time. And the other thing that I've noticed as well with that kind of, especially because of the time of year and the nice weather perhaps, because there's less air traffic and there's less traffic noise and that ambient noise levels drop right down, you hear a lot more as well as see a lot more. And I think that helps our circadian rhythms a bit because you've got the dawn calls mm. for the birds, you know, all quiet later at night. And then, you know, you've got that obvious um, sort of pattern of when you feel tired. And I think the the... The benefits that I've found from this is I've not stayed up super late watching loads of guff telly. <laughs> I've just cut I stick to the same thing. Get a bit of exercise, which will help me to, to want to sleep. And then by getting decent amounts of sleep, it does keep your immune system more Yeah, fresh. it does. Are you, are you surfing at the moment? Are you, are you able to surf? Does that count? No. no. Uh, I haven't been. And I don't. There's part of me that thinks it probably would come across wrong. It's not an essential journey. I'm lucky that I live in a fairly green spot so I can get yeah. plenty of exercise just by going up the lanes and having a yeah, run. Yeah, I was wondering, so, if, it, wondering if it would yeah. count as a daily exercise or not. I'm not sure. It's tricky, isn't it? But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, I live next to the beach. 
it's probably really legit, but I'd have to drive to get there, so that wouldn't be. Oh, clever. I see. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought you were uh, you were quite close to the, the beach down there. Um, but it's it's interesting the positives we can we can take out of it. And I suppose if you notice the down there in Cornwall, obviously it's, it's pretty beautiful anyway in in terms of the nature. But if you notice an upsurge in in uh, the clarity of, of air and things like that, it's been nice. We've had um, we've had a little bit of um, of kind of a, a haze around just because of the, the high pressure that's been kicking about for a while. So it's not been um, like crystal clear air, but the but the views are great, like you say, but it's been very sort of uh, atmospheric. So you're getting these sort of mm. sunrises, sunsets, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been good to be outside, but they're not even down here. Not everyone can get outside. So you, you, it's just nice to have a view of something green or blue from the window rather than lashing with rain. <laughs> it, it definitely is. Uh, do you, do well, you think keeping that, because the exercise thing, because again, social media, there's a lot of information out there about what we should and shouldn't be doing. Do you feel it, it is creating yeah. a, a plan and, and almost, putting relaxation and a, and a calm state of mind as, as a paramount thing that you want to be in and maybe not because it's, it's strange that things can trigger you, can't they? If you, if you suddenly think I've got to do 15 hit workouts a day to, to keep, it, it yeah. almost becomes a stressor, doesn't it? Sometimes something that should be a positive thing like exercise. I think this is, I, I don't know if it will be a sustained change, but we've, um, we were chatting about this down here recently, actually, my wife and I, and there's a lot of people who uh, we see every day anyway, out walking and, and, you know, cutting around the local area but there's also a lot of people that we've never seen in the past walking around and that's not you know you're not from around here holiday makers coming down to visit that's just people who don't necessarily normally have the time yeah. or are not necessarily day but there's a lot of um it's much more obvious isn't it that people are out walking and getting exercise whereas in the past they might not have bothered and i don't know if it's going to be sustained afterwards but i'd like to think that now people have found out how easy it can be to access a relatively green space that they will continue to do it afterwards. Cause we've spoken about this in the past about how much benefits we can gain from a little bit of time mm. outdoors. And I think the, one of the key things that have, um, that's come out of the, the, the extra research I've done surrounding um, the, the, the current pandemic and the, the way people cope with it is there's an, uh, an astronaut from Canada called Chris Hadfield that you probably heard about. He was um, in the news a couple of years ago when he came back from yeah. the ISS. He said that, um, you know, he learned a lot about being in a, a capsule for months on end with two other or three other guys. Um, but one of the things that he found most informative throughout his astronaut training was the survival training that he did. And what he learned from his survival training is that um, coping with anything is a team sport. You know, you've got to rely on others and help each other out. But equally, when you look back on the hardships that you've endured, you make the most of what you've got in the present and i think after this people will perhaps i hope i hope they will anyway perhaps enjoy the outdoors a bit more and appreciate being able to access it whenever they want go wherever they want and just like we've spoken about i'm sure we mentioned this last time just being able to walk down to the local pub and sit in the beer <laughs> <Yeah>. garden <laughs> those things that you sort of took for granted but now you can't i reckon people will really appreciate and that. i also wonder i don't know whether you probably appreciate this my wife sometimes thinks i'm a bit doom, doom and gloom when i mention this but i had a couple of years ago i said you know when you actually contemplate the reality of life that it's that it's finite that it does end that that actually is inspiring but in a way because of the barrage of intensity of the way we live and consumerism and things like that which aren't it's sort of almost intended to distract you from from that that because we're always meant to earn more chase more get bigger better and more and i think it's it, it does it, it's almost sobering to, to have the documentation of deaths now that makes you think oh hang on a minute that's going to happen to all of us eventually at some point hopefully not during the uh, pandemic but it, it makes you think you should you should seize the day carpe diem mentality yeah, definitely. And equally appreciate those things that you've got rather than um, chasing too much other stuff. Because yeah. at the end, 
everyone will know what they need. You know, they may also they may still remember what they want and the extra stuff that that we all you know quietly would would wouldn't mind having. But fundamentally, what we need, we've kind of got at the moment, and you can you can make really. And I've seen some amazing clips when I do look at a bit of social of how people have entertained themselves at home. <laughs> and you would never have had that creative boom in ping pong ball throwing around living rooms. If it that is, yeah. So, so I do I do think people a appreciate their own mortality, but equally b appreciate the the what they've got now and the moments that they have rather than worrying about the future or being depressed about the past just enjoying what they've got in yeah the you moment. wonder what because you spend so much time in, in, in nature and environments you wonder what the upshot will be in terms of it maybe it's a, a sort of personal thing that people realize that they can be quite productive at home because you don't have a lot of distractions that that take time like, interacting yeah. with people so maybe you know often people say you can achieve something in four hours at home that might take eight hours over the course of a work day because of commuting and, and, and conversations at work and dist- yeah. distractions but also you know, there's anecdotes from China and India that people are seeing blue skies for the first time in, in decades. And there's, mm. there's dolphins in the canals in Venice and, and things because of the, the, mm. the decline in pollution. So, I mean, do you, are you sort of hopeful that might that might have an upshot that people will perhaps be, be more thoughtful about how we sort of barrel around? I think so. I don't know if there's any science because, like you, I've been reading the, the articles about, you know, whether they going to have a long-term effect on on um, any impacts on the climate but I, I do think in people's consciousnesses they will I, I'm hopeful that people will appreciate what we have rather than take it for granted and that includes our natural world around it. and I'm sure that if people have spent the last couple of months walking the same path each day and seeing the same plants growing and, and or whatever <laughs> even in a cityscape that they'll be much more um, tuned into if any of it changes or if anything's changed for the worst if someone drops litter you know it'll stand out to them on the yeah. path won't it so the, bi- bio- the biophilia little- hypothesis you introduced me to as well wasn't it that was uh, the concept of feeling better around nature you said even that that even resonates in in towns and cities yeah. with being around trees and particularly at the moment blossom and stuff that's quite yeah. that kind of captures your attention and, and does make you feel better yeah, and it doesn't, like we said last time, it doesn't need to be a huge dose to, to get those benefits. It's two hours a week, the, uh, the professor at Exeter Uni found, in terms of how much cumulatively you need to get of a green space to get all those benefits. So it's still possible, even if it's just a bit of urban greenery that you, you see um, from your window or you, you walk through if you've got the, the access to it. So, yeah, it's, um, I'm hopeful that people will be much more conscious of it in future and much more appreciative of it. But you never know. I mean, we, we might all go back to our former lives, like, yeah. you know, Pavlov's. Yeah, yeah, to. we sort of, we normalise it. I mean, this almost feels relatively normal now. People are now talking about going back might be stressful yeah. because they've normalised to this situation. So it's a, it's a strange one. John, remind, so How to Survive is, is still out. The, the main book and then the e-book is available, what, through your social media. Is that right? So yeah, the ebook. If you um, let's think, what the best ways to do it? The ebook's called How to Survive a Pandemic, and if you just put my name in, John Hudson, you'll get to Pam McMillan, the, the publishers who've very, very graciously put it out there for free now. And then there's a paperback version of the book coming out at the end of May, which will have that um, ebook incorporated as a as a sort of a, an extra appendix at the end. But if you want it now, it's out there free. Help yourselves. How to Survive a Pandemic. Good man. Well, John, I hope to uh, see you soon, if you're down in Cornwall on, on the holidays, if we get we get down there this year. Hopefully the lockdown eases, if, if not um, around the circuit, maybe at the next uh, Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival as well. I appreciate you taking the time and enjoy enjoy lockdown. And I'm sure you'll make good use of it. I know you're very, very practical. You too, mate. And all Cheers, the best John. To you Thank and you. Yours. 
So there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. John Hudson, the UK military's chief survival instructor. Uh, very personable guy, though, isn't he? And he's kind of very humble about his technical skills and stuff, I'm sure. Um, he put me to shame in, in any situation in terms of uh, building tents and shelters and finding food and water and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's admirable the way that he has extrapolated to the, the sort of real world, as we say, the real world that we live in anyway, which kind of seems quite make-believe now, isn't it? Because it's kind of come to an end while the lockdown continues. Uh, but I really appreciate John's time and do recommend checking out his book. First, uh, the main copy, which will be out in paper book, paperback, as he says, How to Survive Lessons for Everyday Life from the Extreme World. And then the ebook he mentions specific to the current pandemic. Anyway, I hope the audio was okay, both ends, mine and John's, and appreciate it. It's a little bit rough and ready as it is very much a sideline, this podcast, but do enjoy it and uh, do have that support as well. Very appreciative of Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, Jason and his team for, for sponsoring the podcast a little bit and, and giving me that kind of uh, support. It's, it's very much uh, appreciated. Anyway, I hope you're well uh, with coronavirus and everything else physically mentally and socially particularly those of you who are isolated at home on your own that's a very different situation to a lot of us who have family around us so i wish you all the best and um yeah everyone keep the chins up and speak again soon on the podcast thank you guys if you could rate it on itunes if you do enjoy it that would be uh, very much uh, appreciated cheers thank you <laughs>